So have you ever received a Christmas gift that required an explanation or maybe given one that requires an explanation? Here's one. Those are called banana caps. And here's the second picture that shows you how they work. Uh, there's apparently some sort of kind of silicone thing that you put on and then you put the banana cap on it. So anyway, if I've solved one of your Christmas dilemmas, how to give something to someone that they haven't gotten before, I'm assuming banana caps, I'm assuming nobody in here has ever gotten banana caps for Christmas. So have you ever received a gift where the words don't do it justice? In the mid-50s, uh, the go-kart was invented in 1956, and right about that time, my dad and my uncle, Neil, who was a welder, built a little car. It had a, a lawnmower engine on the back. It had brakes and gas and all that, and so I don't know how old I was. It's scary to me to th contemplate now, but, you know, six or seven, and my older brother. So we were driving this car all around. Uh, it was it was unbelievable. It was a Christmas gift. And we're thinking, this is just too good. We used it in all kinds of ways. We would mow the grass with it. We, would, we had one of those push mowers, and we'd hitch it behind the car and drive it around the yard, and mowing was fun. <laughs> the gift that Jesus has for us is one of those indescribable gifts. It's hard to put it in words. Here's what 2 Corinthians 9.15 says. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's something that Jesus has purchased for every person in this room. He's actually got a gift for every person in this room. And what Paul is saying is words won't do it justice. I mean, I can talk to you about it. I can tell you about some of the contents of this gift but even after I've exhausted all the words, I won't have even scratched the surface of the value of this gift. We can't plumb the depths. There's always more. And I suspect in eternity that we'll still be unpacking this gift and going, I can't believe that this is a part of it. Here's a statement that Paul makes in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 in which he tells us about the price that was paid for this exquisite gift. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying that this gift for every person in this room is a grace gift meaning it's not deserved, it's not warranted, it's not earned. The person who gets a lot of PR at Christmas, who shall not be named, has a naughty list. But here, this gift is given to the naughty. It's given to those who don't deserve it. It's given to sinners. That's grace. The cost of the gift was extreme. It says, though he was rich, I cannot imagine what it is like to live in heaven, to be resplendent in glory and to be surrounded by myriads and myriads of angels. And it says, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He said goodbye to that and came and 
arrived in a feeding trough. That's what a manger is. And it went downhill from there because from the manger he went to a cross. It says, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He walked all the way to the cross where even his life, not without his permission, but his life was taken from him in order to pay the exquisite, astounding price so that we, through his poverty, might be made incredibly rich. The content of that gift is lavish, eternal wealth. Now, I'm going to wait till Christmas Eve to actually unwrap that gift. So come to the Christmas Eve service. Shameless advertisement right now, but come to the Christmas Eve service, and I'm going to actually show you some of what is in this incredibly costly, extravagant gift. When Jesus arrived in the manger, he was carrying that, and he walked to the cross, and he placed that gift at the foot of the cross where it waits for every person who wants it. We won't unpack it. We'll save that for Christmas Eve. But I'd like to ask a why question. You know, it says Jesus became poor that you for his poverty might become rich. And Paul is telling them this. Why? Why is he reminding the Corinthians of this exquisite gift? And we get a clue uh, in two verses before. He says in 8 9... Through his poverty you've been made rich. Why is he telling us that? Go back two verses and you would read this. For just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you. In other words, you have been given all these amazing gifts. See that you abound in this gracious work also. And he uses the same word, by the way. Gracious work. It's a work of charis, which is a work of grace. Two verses later he says, you know the grace of our Lord. For your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. Basically what he's saying is, church, I want you to be lavish givers of grace gifts to others. And grace gifts are gifts that you give to those who don't deserve it, who haven't earned it. Recall what Christ did. Look at the manger. Look at his journey to the cross and see the incredible experience expensive, exquisite cost he paid in order for you to have a gift and then you go do the same thing. Give in a way that shouts the grace of God. We of all people need to be those who are fluent in the language of grace. We know how to communicate grace. We know how to give grace. There was an incident in a not this church, but a church a while back. And shortly after coming to that church, I became aware that there was some concern that a particular individual was stealing money from the offering, a staff person. And so we took the appropriate measures to be able to confirm without doubt that this was the case. And yes, indeed, here was someone who was stealing cash from the offering, had been doing it for some time. And so I confronted him. I said, what you're doing is wrong. 
And he acknowledged it. I said, you're going to lose your job over this, but I need you to share with the staff what you have done. And then I prepared the staff for them to be able to forgive him. So we had a kind of an emergency all-staff meeting the next day, first thing in the morning when he came. All that night, I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I don't know that I slept that night. I'd been studying the parable of the unforgiving steward. It's a story that Jesus told about someone who was forgiven an incredible, extreme debt and shown incredible grace. And the word, actually, forgive is show grace. And after having been forgiven such a debt, then he went and found a fellow servant who'd owed him a relative pittance, and he started throttling him, saying, pay me what you owe. And Jesus, through this parable, was saying, this is not a quote, but he's saying, in essence, that's a picture of me and you, church. I have forgiven you an incredible debt. And the earmark of those who understand that and see that is that they give grace to others. Well, at any rate, I had been studying that for the last few days after this incident happened. And so that night, this just kept going through my head. Be like Father. Be like Father. Be like Father. <laughs> so the, the next day, we had our meeting and the individual involved acknowledged what he had done to the, to the staff. And then the staff, I said, if you will join me in expressing the same, here is what we want to say. In, in light of what Jesus has done for us, you are forgiven. We are denying this incident in history the power to adversely affect our future with you. Now, again, there were consequences. We did let him go. But then I reached in my pocket and I pulled out a check. And I gave that check to him. The check was, he had estimated, and I think this is right, the amount that he had taken from the church. So I, I gave him a check from my account that was twice what he owed the church. I showed him grace. And then he, in turn, gave that to the church. That's who we are. We're people who know what happened when Jesus came to the manger and went to the cross. And we were given the opportunity to be exquisitely rich for all eternity. The people who get that show grace. They be like Father. They throw grace. So what I'm appealing to you to do is to... Celebrate the birth of Christ by looking at the manger and looking through the manger. We'll do that next Sunday. Look through the manger to the cross. Look at what you have been given. Unwrap that gift and then figure out how can I show grace to the people around me. Frankly, we, we live in a world where grace, you know, you talk about supply chain shortages and things like that. We are living in a world where there is an extreme shortage of grace. The ability to actually give to someone unmerited, undeserved kindness and goodness 
and favor. Look at the manger. Look at the cross. Throw grace. Let's pray. Father, we want to be a people who are fluent in the language of grace. We're able to communicate to others in a way that reflects what you have communicated to us. You are forgiven. Father, I pray that you would give us an opportunity even this week to be able to show grace to somebody. I know that even in the ramp up to this sermon, you gave me such an opportunity to show grace. Open our eyes so that we can allow people to have a taste of what it means to receive your grace and to be drawn to you, the ultimate giver of grace, and to seek you. Thank you for the reminder in Jesus' coming that you are a God of grace. Thank you for your indescribably good gift. In Jesus' name.